Welcome back to the Afros and Knives podcast, the interview series that elevates Black women's profiles and stories working in food and beverage, hospitality, food justice, food science, and food media. I am your host, Tiffany Rozier, and for this week's doubleheader, my next conversation is with Azarias Bellamy. Uh, she's the owner of Blondery in New York, and she has served as a pastry sous chef at Bouchon Bakery. She has been the executive pastry chef at Pies and Thighs. She has done staging time at Per Se, French Laundry, and Danielle. And in 2016, she launched her online business due to the overwhelming demand for her very flawless caramel and pecan blondies, or pecan depending on what part of the country you're from. Uh, So for nearly three years, she has been shipping blondies nationwide and her business just continues to grow. Um, She still has the same high demand because her standards have never changed. Um, She still is hitting all the right notes in her quality and in her presentation. So these are blondies you will definitely want to get your hands on. Uh, She relaunches again in, let's see, I want to say November. And um, for orders again, yep, she's back on November 1st. Um, so be sure to get on the waiting list. You want to head over to blondery.com and get on the waiting list. Uh, during our conversation, you will hear some talk about biscuits coming back. So you definitely want to get on the waiting list. Um, and these are definitely going on uh, the gift guide for this year. So um, I loved my conversation with her. We had a really great time chatting and we dug into her family and how, um, you know, the the women in her family have influenced her and um, her entrepreneurship. So um, definitely excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Uh, a shout out again to our patrons and um, be sure to hit up the Patreon page, which is patreon.com backslash Afros and Knives. And you know what to do if you love this podcast. Be sure to follow, subscribe, share, and comment. And now here is my conversation with Azureus. Nationwide, I was the sous chef at Thomas Keller's Bouchon Bakery for three and a half years. I've staged at French Laundry, Per Se, and Danielle before starting Blondry. I grew up in Hayward, California, which is in the Bay Area. I currently live in Brooklyn. I've been here for about five years, and I'm super happy to be here today. Okay, so you say the Bay Area because I lived in San Francisco. Wow, like two thousand and one, maybe two thousand and two. Okay. And um, I mean, I loved it. It was beautiful, but it was very expensive. And so, you don't feel like New York is expensive? Not, but you know what? Not by comparison. Like all my rents have been pretty reasonable for New York. And living in honestly, living in Nashville was probably the most expensive city I've lived in. Wow, that yeah. shocks me. You know, most it, you know, the cost of living in Nashville is no joke. I don't, I don't understand it, but you know, here we are. Um, but talk to me a little bit about your your path to like the French Laundry and into the, like the Thomas Keller universe. Yeah, so I um, started baking when I was around eight years old, um, mostly from the box. My dad would buy me all these box mixes, and I would create as much as I could, but I started to feel kind of limited in what I could create because I wasn't creating original recipes, right? So I 
um, grew up in a family of restaurateurs and entrepreneurs and chefs, um, but none of us had been to culinary school. So I decided I'm going to go to culinary school and I'm going to learn how to bake professionally. And I wanted to be the best so I could open my own bakery one day. So I went to Johnson & Wells, graduated in 2012, magna cum laude. My parents would be remiss if I didn't mention that part. <laughs> um, and I um, ended up landing a job at Bouchon. I didn't know anything about Bouchon, though, I should mention. like I just knew it was supposedly the best place to work. You know what? My first restaurant job was a lot like that. I had like, gone to culinary school. I went to La Cordon Bleu and I applied. For, I didn't even apply for the job. I put my resume up on the Internet at some point oh, wow. and somebody from um, uh, the Fat Radish here in New York had reached out to me like through email. And, you know, because I was so green, I didn't know that that's not how you're supposed to get a job in a restaurant. So I completely understand. Like, I didn't know anything about none of this. Walking in, I just knew I wanted to cook. How are you supposed to get a job at a restaurant? I guess, I mean, according to most of the people I had been working in the field that I had um, started to meet and talk with, and when I explained my, like, my, my first job, they were like, wait a minute. They're like, no, most people, you got to, like, you find out that the place is hiring, you go into the restaurant, you apply, and then they call you back for a stage, and then you come back. And I was like, I didn't have to do any of that. Um, interesting. Yeah, that is kind of strange they didn't have you stage, at least. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to. I actually did my interview via Skype. <laughs> so, and that was pre-COVID. So that was even pre-COVID. more interesting. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but you mentioned that your family was a family of like restaurateurs and and cooks and chefs and entrepreneurs. And so like what and how and where? Um, yeah. So my grandmother started a restaurant. I, I always get the timeline mixed up. I think it's around 47 years now. Um, and we still have locations today. It's called Everett and Jones Bakery. I mean, sorry, that's that's me. It's called Everett and Jones Barbecue. They're not a bakery. Um, and uh, yeah, my family ran the restaurant. So my grandmother had nine children, um, eight girls, one boy, and a whole bunch of uh, grandchildren. So we all worked in the restaurant. <laughs> Now, see, I'm now you know I had to go directly to the website and Google the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> I was like, hold on. Yes. <laughs> so what did you learn from them about running a food business since your path essentially took you there? Um, it's hard work. It's very, my mom reminds me, like, you were, you're doing the thing I was trying to run away from. And I'm like, well, I mean, this is, where I grew up. I grew up around food. I grew up around family, around music and uh, black culture. So um, that's kind of like, it's just natural to me. I wanted to go into this. But I I learned about um, how food can bring people together, especially good food, you know? Absolutely. Um, Now I can see here, it says that you have, what, eight aunties? And mm-hmm. one <laughs> eight very strong, strong, strong minded black say, women. It sounds like. Um, what is something that you learned from them about being a black woman moving in the world? That is such a good question because I think they all had such different personalities, and um. I I learned something different from each one and I feel so blessed. Like I think about that all the time, like the different personalities they had. And my auntie Angie was like the life of the party. She was the youngest. So she was just like out there in the world, like just doing her own thing. Um, my auntie Katie taught me how to be a lady. She was like very girly, very um, prissy as you would say and you know we went and got our nails done and we went to the mall and we would we would be at the mall for hours and this was when I was like 16 17 so it was such a great fit like for us to be doing that together um and then you know my auntie May is like she's uh my auntie May May 
she is uh like the 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 real like entrepreneur like uh, I can't even I don't want to tell all her business but like she <laughs> how don't. she handles her money trouble. don't get me in trouble with your eyes <laughs> <laughs> how she handles her money is just like remarkable right and then like my mother was the the educational like um she's the only one who went to college and graduated so she's that one and then um my auntie Jenya was the oldest and she was the spiritual one and like they all have such different personalities and I think they just all taught me that I can be this I can have different dynamics to being Mm. a black woman I can be all of these things that's so good that is so good because it's it's definitely it, I feel like it's one of the bigger challenges about not just being black black but being a black woman is that people fi- paint you as a one-dimensional figure mm-hmm. and we understand you know and they don't understand that there are just there's so many there's oceans in us there's just so much there and when you underestimate us that's usually when you get in a little bit of trouble right um, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly so, so it looks like it says that you're your family kind of started in Cleveland or Alabama and then found their way to Oakland. So how did that migration happen? Yeah. So my grandfather um, is from uh, New York, I believe, like upstate New York, Albany. Um, I'm sorry. He's not from there. He moved there after California. They're both from Alabama, my grandfather and my grandmother. And I was so fortunate two years ago to be able to go visit uh, the town, or I don't even know if that's what you would call it, like County Road 7 um, in Alabama. And I saw why, if my grandmother had the same entrepreneurial spirit, I saw why she would have left that place and wanted to leave. I believe she had two kids or three kids at the time. Um, and the, like, there's nothing there. (laughs) Like it's, like I said, County Road 11, there's some, there's a church, there's a graveyard. Um, all of the houses are like trailer homes. They're like really advanced trailer homes. It looks like a house when you walk into it, but, um, lots of land. And I think if, if she was anything like me, then she was looking for a bigger and better life for her kids. Mm. Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. It's just like, okay, I need to occupy a bigger space, which literally yeah. means sometimes geographically finding a bigger space. Exactly. Oh, wow. Um, I was like looking at... And I, I, whoever wrote the the like the the bio or the story information on your on your uh, grandparents' website for the restaurant, it did a beautiful job. Um, so shout aunt. out to them. <laughs> probably probably my auntie Shirley. Okay, um, auntie yeah. Shirley. She's the you. she's the aunt historian. Like she's the yes. historian of the group. We have a whole Facebook group and everything. Like I love it. Oh, see, it it, it, it reads so beautifully. It really, it's like real. She she captures some real like hardcore storytelling. It's the kind of storytelling I love because it's almost like built into Black people. Yeah. Um, But there's a point where it says that your grandmother borrowed seven hundred dollars from her Mm -hmm. friend Cora. And (laughs) Miss Cora, um, my question for you is: Who has been the Cora in your life? Ooh, his name's Jay. (laughs) <laughs> Shout out to Jay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was a lifestyle manager after I left the restaurant industry and pastry world completely um, in New York. I was just over it. A few things have happened. Um, and I was just like, I'm done. I have to do my own thing. I went and became a lifestyle manager. I met him um, through an app called TaskRabbit. And he needed me to do like little odds and ends around his home. And eventually I was like, do you need an assistant? He's like, yeah, I actually could use an assistant. So I worked for him for two to three years and I made a lot of money because he would refer me to like all his friends. But um, during the holidays, I was still making blondies and I just, you know, I, I think I went to the dollar store and got some like those little tin canisters and I put some blondies in there for him. I knew he didn't eat sweets, but I figured he can just try it and give it out or whatever. And he tried it and he said, I, he said, I took them to work and everyone was saying it's the best thing they ever had. Like, what, what do you like either 
excuse me, shit or get off the pot. Like, are you going to do this as a business or are you going to continue doing this, what you're doing for me? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, go ahead. You can, I would just like, I'm just kind of soaking that story, soaking that in. Yeah. Um, he had become like a close friend, a mentor, someone who uh, till, still to this day, I think really believes in me and what I'm trying to do. Um, and he kind of like, mentored me in the sense of like okay this is I showed him my Instagram he's like you need to work on your photos so I think a lot of people who are like your photos are so great I'm like I I always think of Jay because he's the one who told me like work on your photos and I don't think he even realized that like that was going to be like I was going to become like this Instagram business (laughs) but it's just um ironic that that was the first piece of advice I got from someone about laundry and it's still to this day it's like the number one thing people comment on besides once they taste the product then it's like about the product but when they're first meeting me and they first see my booth or um at a pop-up or my website or the Instagram they're like oh my gosh this is so visually appealing I just love like it's it's always to have that person in your life that just kind of makes you yeah, like he said, shit or get off the pot. Like you just, they challenge your idea of yourself and like what you're capable of. And most people think it's like, I mean, cause you knew you were like, look, you have worked in pastry. I understand all the techniques I've done the, I've done the job. So you understood the vocation. But when I, you know, for me, when I talk about what you could be and what you could do, it's kind of like that space of, can you be bigger? Like, can you really match your um, environment to what's happening with like your internal dialogue? You know, it's like, hey, I want something more for myself. And when that something more presents itself to you, it's like, are you prepared to be fearless enough to do something about it? Even if you don't, (laughs) it's like, even if I don't have a roadmap for it, you know, I tell people like specifically when you come from, a community or a family of people who may not exactly have done what you did. They might have done something adjacent to it. They might have some really great ideas to contribute. But like, I remember like when Will Smith first got on Instagram and he was talking about, and people of course loved it. But one of the most like profound things that he that he posted was about how like nobody else is you. And nobody else can live your life and walk your path and live your journey. And so even if everybody, even if there's a hundred people doing something similar, they can't do it the way you do it. And so it was that idea, like, do you believe in your own potential to be great? And so many people will say they, they really believe it until you offer them an opportunity to prove, not prove that they can do it, but just prove that they believe it. And it's like, so when the universe goes, okay, well, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to prove your belief. And you, you just go, oh, okay, okay. So it's like to find that person who won't let you back out of that is such a <laughs> such a blessing and such like the scariest thought like the, that they become so invaluable to you because you're like thank you for not letting me be scared of my own shadow so so yeah so i mean yeah a shout out to jay thank you sir for you know making sure she did not hide her light under a bushel uh, <laughs> so like now and which is a great segue into the into the food like for me i'm like because i really desperately miss talking about food with food people so um and you would think doing this podcast i would do it more frequently but i like i always want people to see a bit more about your life and not so much about like the product you sell or what you do but there are moments where you kind of go the food seems to be an expression of who you are and you know for me like looking at the fact that you took 10 years to tweak the recipe for these blondies i'm like help me understand because 10 years is like that's a long ass time. So, so, you know, for anyone out here listening to this show right now and you have an idea and you think 10 months is sufficient, I would offer you an opportunity to take 10 years if it takes 10 years. Like for me, I think that is one of the boldest moves to make is that you don't put it out into the world, into the world until you feel it's right. And I know like over 10 years, people probably like, well, go ahead and sell them. I mean, they're good enough right now. These are delicious. What are you talking about? Because I know that life. But I also know that you you need to, you're in relationship 
with this food and with this idea and you would not want to put this out in the world unless the relationship was right unless you were in right relationship with the food so talk to me about that 10 years like where did you start when did you stumble onto a favorite ingredient when was your aha moment with the recipe <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's, I should have documented it a little better, right? So I, I definitely can't give you dates, but um, I believe that good food starts with great ingredients. So like you said, my favorite ingredient, right? So when I started um, pastry school, I went to, I interned in France for three months at Ilan de Casse's Ecole Nationale Superior de la Patisserie. And I, I think I'm totally butchering the name, but um, it was in the south of France. And I remember them taking so much care with, um, like the chefs were, would take so much care in the ingredients that we used. And I remember the butter being a huge thing that we talked about a lot. And um, we have, we talked about, you know, uh, the ratios for American butter versus European butter in school. But when I got to France, I mean, everything is just better in France. So um, I brought that same philosophy to the blondies. So what are the best ingredients I can find to create this very kind of simple dessert or pastry um and it, it I think it started with the butter it started with me using only European butter in all my recipes so like any recipe anything I make is usually going to have European butter in it if it has butter in the recipe so for the people who of course are a little green to the butter game I am not yeah. one of those people but <laughs> I'm happy for an educational moment, a moment to learn, a moment to grow. Could yeah. you give us a quick tutorial about the difference between the best butter and everybody else's butter? Okay, so um, butter butter is important in pastry, I would say, because my, mainly because of its melting point. So butter usually has a final melting point of 94 degrees while shortening has um, around 110, which means that when it hits your tongue, it takes a shorter amount of time to melt. Um, that's important because think about when you put, you know, a buttercream that's made with real butter versus a buttercream made with shortening in your mouth. That waxy mouth feel is because it hasn't fully melted in your mouth yet. Um, so that's one. The other thing is, is that American butter um, like by law has to have a minimum of 80% milk fat. So those milk solids that are in butter, they have to have a minimum of 80% of the volume of the weight, while European butter has to have between 82 and 84. So that means that the, the fat that's in the butter um, is of a higher percentage. Therefore, um, you get more of that creamy um, flavor and texture. And um, more fat, you know, obviously I just said means more creamier texture and more flavor, but um, it also creates kind of, um, a, a, how do you describe, it, it, it adds moistness, tenderness, flakiness, volume. Um, and I think that that's, especially when you're doing something very simple, I think when you're, when you're working with a very simple recipe, such as a brownie or a blondie, that becomes kind of your main ingredient. That for me, I mean, to center butter in a recipe. <laughs> come on, yeah. ma'am. Come on. <laughs> Don't ask me how many calories are in one. It of does my it bodies. does it matter though, y'all? Come on. Like if you're eating food and just evaluating it on that level, you don't deserve what she's serving you. You just don't. Just put it back. You just you don't know what you're doing. Um Can I say something about that? What you just said? <laughs> I think like it's important to note what she just said because I think a lot of people approach my blondies as if there's something that's at like Safeway or uh, Key Food, like you know those blondies they have in those like plastic containers, and they're like, "This is overpriced for this," and it's not it's not majority of people, but some do purchase it. I think thinking that I'm trying to compete with a grocery store, and I just want to be very clear that I'm not at all. <laughs> This is a different, we're, we're different, but it's different. 
if you don't appreciate good food um, or appreciate the time also that it takes to make good food, then I may not be for you. And I'm at that stage where I just need to start saying that more. <laughs> I think at some point, it's, it's just, wow, I just am like, that's just exasperating. Um, I think what people, I think one of the conversations, and this is just a brief sidebar, one of the conversations that we are not having about this culinary industry revolution as I'm going I'm just going to call it a renaissance I'm going to hope or hopefully we're at the beginning of a renaissance and the thing we're not talking about is is your point about labor and the value of that labor and I remember like when I first started to make eating out with me very unpleasant for other people which I still don't care about because I like to eat alone and we would go to places and someone would open the menu and they would look at um like you know they have the you know a side and it would either be like a mashed potato or a fry or something like that because that's how it's that's how it's printed on the menu and they would go oh my god why are you charging me 11 dollars for some fries and i immediately would almost fly across the table because as a chef and as a cook i understood that when i worked in new york at my first job I had to hand cut potatoes for 500 orders. I had to poach them in duck fat, which means I had to melt the duck fat first in the oven at 200 degrees for two and a half hours and infuse it with garlic and rosemary and and then put the fries in. And then I had to pull them all out in batches, lay them on sheet trays and put them in the walk-in to cool down. And that was the day before they were supposed to be served. (laughs) And then when it was time, I had to batch them out for 500 orders. So when you are whining about the cost of your food, trust me when I tell you, you are not being charged enough. Right, we don't pay enough for food in America. we, We really don't. And I'm like, if we don't get honest about that one point, because people are, picky about well we should be paying people more money and we should be paying restaurant workers more but we need to explain to people why we are telling you that you need to pay restaurant workers more and then you need to make that possible by charging people for what they're eating I mean that is not I don't think people understand the labor that goes into it I know they don't understand it and part of the the Disney magic that we provide to people in restaurants is not letting them see that labor, but it has now bit us in the ass. And people think that it's literally a kid ripping open a rip, ripping open a bag of fries and shoving them into a fryer, mm-hmm. and that is not what's yes. happening. No, not at all. At all. Yeah. So for okay, thank you, thank you, officer. Um, so now that we've covered the butter and I love the fact that butter is like a central component and that it's quality butter and it's European butter because I always have European butter in the fridge mm-hmm. um, the, the the signature blondie the one that kind of told you that this is this is the one this is the thing to start with this is kind of the baseline Where did that, how did that recipe kind of come together um, so I think that it's it started with those pecan praline candies that um, the old ladies at my church would make, the old the elders. And Them I think things um, are delicious, y'all. Those things are delicious. If you can find so, you an old black lady at church, yes, because I I don't think that people like when they're mass produced, they don't taste the same. Cause they don't care. They don't care about them. They don't care about yeah. the nut they use. They don't care about the level, the how caramelized the sugar. They don't care. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, and I think like I remembered, I identified, I think at an early age that this was different. Like this, this candy was very different from other candies I've had because whoever that lady was, was probably very, um, I only used Land Lakes butter or, you know, like she was probably very intentional about her ingredients. And I was forever chasing that flavor memory. And even when I went to New Orleans, I was like, this doesn't taste the same. It still doesn't taste the same. And um, the, the pecan and salted caramel blondie is just kind of my nod to that lady introducing me to 
you know, care for ingredients. Ooh, okay. So y'all, I mean, just thank you. Cause there's so much magic in that story. Um, (laughs) The first bit is like, just like really good R&B singers um, come out of church choir. Mm-hmm. really good ingredients and love of food comes out of uh, black church ladies so I just I'm just saying y'all if you want to really understand how to like really do something correctly with care and thought then you want to find your old black church lady um but I love I got really amped and this is one of the reasons why I'm like I'm glad we don't do video just yet because your point about chasing the taste memory like that is my entire life that is my philosophy around cooking food for other people um choosing restaurants like that that one thought drives pretty much everything about how i feel about food is that i you know constantly creating a moment for someone to chase and that involves such a level of like care and thoughtfulness and it's the one thing that i've noticed Um, Like looking at the reviews on your website, hearing other people talk about your food, following you on Instagram and looking at other people with the the feedback, it's it's obvious that there is a a very particular level of like care and thought in what you do. And, you know, where you can I can hear you talk about I, I can hear the example of thoughtfulness, especially when it comes to ingredients. But I'd love to hear you talk about like care I think that's another component that's missing from the restaurant space right now. It's kind of just waxed and waned for a long time. And I think it is a result of like really toxic kitchen culture is that you stop caring. And the challenge with that is, is if you're a food, a real food person, when you sit down to a meal, you can taste it in the food when it's missing you are like what the hell is this and so it just it's almost offensive because all the ingredients are there the recipe's been executed perfectly the plate looks beautiful but the thing that's the most important the thing that like feeds your soul is missing and it's kind of like the unspoken ingredient the ingredient that's just not tangible so talk to me about your your approach to like when you're when you're making a batch and like what your you know what your thought process is about who you are and your customer and your product and how those relate how that relationship um works together yeah um but i mean it started with me not necessarily thinking about the customer and i know that that's probably super crazy to say but um Cause I didn't, but I didn't think I was going to actually be selling these blondies. I just was trying to make it a really good blondie so I could enjoy something um, and my family could enjoy something. I forgot to mention that on the holidays, um, and my, my grandmother only closed the restaurant two days out of the year, and that was Thanksgiving and Christmas. So on Thanksgiving and Christmas, all of her children would come to her house and it was their only day off. And apparently, my mom just told me this, apparently they would work from the restaurant, I think she said, opened at 9 a.m. and would close at 5 a.m. And I was like, what? Like, no, she said they opened at 11 and they closed at 5 a.m. So... Yeah, they were tired. So when we got together on these holidays, it was such a big thing. And my mom was in charge of making the desserts. So I've always made the desserts from the box, from my own recipes, after pastry school. That's always been my job. So when I was creating these blondies, I had my family more so in mind and also just my own taste buds. So when now, you know, the evolution of me selling the product Um, I still take into account um, what my customer is looking for. So such as it took me not 10 years, but it took me two years to develop the Brooklyn Blackout, which is gluten-free. It happens to be gluten-free. But you would never know it because I wanted it to be something that everyone could enjoy, regardless of if they're gluten-free, they practice gluten-free living or not. Um, The same with my vegan sweet potato bonnie that we'll be releasing this fall is like it's taken me three years to develop this recipe because I really wanted something that everyone could enjoy regardless of their dietary restrictions or not. 
And I think that I'll probably continue to practice that. And I, I mean, I get inspired by things all the time. The birthday cake blondie was actually a mistake. It was, I was making the Brooklyn blackout and I didn't use um, the gluten-free flour. So I have like this really dark chocolate Oreo type base and I'm like, ooh, let's make an Oreo blondie. And then I took it to a pop-up and people loved it and now it's a core on the menu. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah. that makes sense because people love an Oreo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, because yeah, people do love this Oreo situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, you know, it's it's incredible because like, and you definitely, it, abs- it makes absolute sense that the first the first person in the co- in the relationship you're not thinking about, you're not thinking about customers first because you're the, you're the person in relationship with that food first. Yeah. And so it makes absolute sense that you, you know, we're again, like, it was the process of chasing this memory yeah. and like re and trying to recreate the moment that was created when you had those uh, salted pecans the first time. Yeah. And so I think people, people don't fail to understand that like a lot of times when someone is in the kitchen creating something for the first time or trying to recreate something for the, you know, again, is that that's what usually drives all of us is that we're trying to, pull on a memory we're trying to pull on you know the voices that are that kind of steer our our compass our internal compass a little bit and so like you know for me I'm like if when I'm cooking it's like I'm thinking about my grandmothers I'm thinking about my mom I'm thinking about like all you know what I mean you think about all the people who have influenced the the taste that you love and the things that make you feel at home and um and that make you feel like yourself that ground you um Speaking about holidays, because I had a uh, opportunity to do a couple of profiles on a few women who are um, from indigenous communities, and we talked about, for lack of a better term, uh, decolonizing Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for me, it, it was a really interesting question or it was a really interesting um, inquiry to kind of consider like what holidays look like specifically after kind of this social these social uprisings and like these internal uprisings for a lot of people and so since we are coming into holiday space and we're coming we're you know we are quickly approaching September and essentially you know a lot I think a lot of these holidays will sneak up on people and you know being a person who you know obviously is a retailer and you know a a baker and you have a, a commercial business and you have to sell product um for yourself like how how are you viewing these holidays kind of in light of what's uh what's happening within like black america um as well as in within like indigenous communities and like how you how are you what's your lens like right now when it comes to these things yeah um i mean one my heart goes out to you know everyone all of us who have suffered the hands of white privilege and um all of the crazy things that we've experienced um, as black and brown and indigenous people. I think for me, like I said, holidays have never been about, oh, it's Thanksgiving. It's like, these are the only two days my grandmother let us have off. So this is the only time we get to be together. Um, So it's always been just about family. It's never really been about, let's celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas. It's never been about that. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that for me, like, that's how I view it is that it, it happens to be Thanksgiving, but that's not really it. It's that we're all together and we're not in the restaurant working. Mm. Yeah, it's like it's a a day. It's a day off from like from labor, from um, from laboring together for sure. Because I know I, you know, like Thanksgiving. It's speaking to all of the women that I did those profiles on. Like everyone had a really common experience to that. They were like, "Well, our family never really paid attention to like the holiday in and of itself, but it was the one day in the year, the few days in the year that everyone was available to be together, and so we just took advantage of that time. So yeah. Now for your for your family, are you still the person who brings all the baked goods? I'm not because I'm not out there. But that that's Aww. why Blonderie was started, though, because I was here and they were like, where are the blondies? We need the blondies. We're having Thanksgiving dinner. You're not here. You're in New York. 
Um, so I started shipping them. I opened up a website just for them and they ended up telling all their friends and family and I sold over 500 orders in a two week time frame. <laughs> You know what? They're forever the entrepreneurs. They were like, you know what? Go she got a website. She got a website. Yo, go ahead. <laughs> like, y'all, that was not for everybody, okay? Yeah. That was yeah. not for everyone. But I'm yeah. not mad at these coins. Thank you very much. Exactly. Um, do you have any recipes that are directly inspired by your family? Um... Hmm. I would say the blondies, the, the pecan and salty caramel for sure. Um, my, and I don't sell this, but my German chocolate cake is inspired by my dad. Um, he, that's his favorite cake. I have to make it for him every year. Um, and then I have a white cake with fresh strawberries and whipped cream that's inspired by my best friend because she doesn't eat cake, but she'll eat a strawberry shortcake. I'm like, that's still a cake, but okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And um, those are two things I don't really sell, but those are, I would say, the three recipes that I get. Oh, I'm sorry. Also, my biscuits. Uh, I make a really good... I'm sorry, good... you said biscuits? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how you thought you was going to slide that by, but uh, well, let's talk about these biscuits. Do you sell these biscuits? Are these biscuits... So that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. I actually, when, when I opened my website... I started with selling the frozen biscuits that you could bake at home and the blondies. And I just didn't have enough experience shipping perishable goods to sustain that. But look out, 2021, they're coming back, I think. I mean, <laughs> look, y'all, 2020 was garbage and trash. <laughs> and we are only hopeful that 2021 is going to give us the goods. And if we can get these biscuits, like, we already in a good place. Uh, <laughs> Mama, just thank you in advance. Um, let me know when those show up. I'd like to pre-order. I'm not going to get played on these biscuits. Um, so... For right now, of course, outside of your work, what are what are you doing to like you know keep joy in your life? And um, are you pursuing any new interest? I'm always one of those people like to be a creative person. I'm always pursuing like my curiosities. And so, are there any new skills you're wanting to learn, or anything that has kind of piqued your interest that you're per, you're kind of chasing down? Yeah. Um... That's interesting that you asked me that today because um, I am, I am pursuing something, a few things. So one is I've been really looking into surrealism. So kind of like the um, bridge between our subconscious and uh, conscious mind. Um, there's a lot of art around surrealism that I find like I'm super attracted to it for some reason. So I've been doing a lot of research on that. I have no idea how it will play into blondery. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, put a blondie on top of someone's head and take a picture of it. I'm oh, like, no, that's so not really what I want to do. <laughs> I'm just interested in it. Just for your own, like the nourishment of your own soul. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, um, cause I talk about this frequently, like with my own little tribe of people about how, because Again, we are we are really kind of conditioned to think of ourselves as like kind of just a single dimension mm -hmm. and the idea of pursuing other interests outside of our vocations aren't mm -hmm. always encouraged. They're like, well, this is well, wh why are you interested in that? I mean, aren't you doing this? And I'm like, that's my vocation. That's what I do for work. That's my labor for for in exchange for value. Like that's that's just one part of my life. And I have lots of other interests and other things that like pique my curiosity. And do I not have a right to pursue that? Right. <laughs> like, are you crazy? It gives me a full life. What's wrong with you? Um, have you found any like surrealist paintings that specifically kind of just old that you keep coming back to? Yeah, Salvador Dali is like. I mean, obviously he's like the 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 what is he like the. He's the one you would look to for any type of right. surrealism. But I, I really like, um, what's the name of the piece? I think it has like a house on top of these elephants that have really skinny legs. And mm. there's like a, a, a stallion. And then there's a guy holding a cross. And it's like, it's just okay. such an interesting piece to look at because I, I find something new in it every time. Oh. But all of his work, I really enjoy. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, before I became a chef, I was an art student, 
Ooh. So it always it doesn't go. I also feel like that stuff just doesn't go away. You don't. It's not. It's like breaking up with somebody, and you're like, I don't love them anymore. I'm like, that's a lie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you love them in a different way now. That's all that is. You have reassigned yeah. their position in your life, but that love doesn't die. It just reasserts itself. Um, so yeah. So like my, you know, my passion for art. Like I absolutely love fine art so deeply, and I find like it has just the it has such a job in the world to help communicate certain things that you can't write um or say and so yeah i just find it's it's important for me to like for other for specifically for black people to like really yeah. kind of try to find an artist to connect to because there, there's always going to be something that you cannot articulate and yeah. typically you will find a piece of art that can articulate that for you yeah. Um, so yeah. So my 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 favorite surrealist painting is Magritte. He's the one with the guy with the bowler hat and the apple. Oh yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for me, like That's a lot a of his one. stuff seems super modern, like mm-hmm. the way illustrators um, uh, do their work now. And when you see an expression of art at this point being done on a computer, a lot of times it's you know there's a sense of you you know like canvases and paint, oil paints and things like that give you they, because they were alive at some point they came from something that was living you get a sense of that from the painting yeah. and when you when you and I understood this because I was a graphic designer and so like I understood that the difference between creating something on canvas or with like um, chalk or charcoal you're using a tree that was you know burned you were using you're using canvas that was cotton at some point so all these were living things so when you create something on a computer you don't have that same relation relationship because it wasn't a living thing before it was you know you have this it's mechanical and so the energy the energy of the art comes off as a bit mechanical so when i look at magritte's work there's this interesting sense like he could have created a lot of his work on a computer and mm. given you the same vibes yeah so I, I don't know I think he just was like this guy who who really definitely thought ahead of his time but um I, I mean I, I'm looking at like I just had to google really quick <laughs> yeah. um the lovers by Magritte is oh. interesting that their, right. their sheets or the fabric prevents them from kissing or like it's so interesting it's so interesting it's great and I was those people like oh like you could get in and for me I'm like I'm looking for I'm looking forward to like getting to a place where black people think of themselves as not a monolith and they feel like oh we can have these discussions we can go into you know a 30 minute discussion about a piece of art and really have something to say and not feel like it's out of place um you know for us to do to have those kind of conversations because i still feel like we you know you don't feel welcome to even have the discussion a lot of times and yeah. it's like well until we kind of push our way into that and just actually have i'm like have those conversations amongst yourselves you don't have to like try to find a white person to have that conversation with right. find a fellow yeah. art lover in the black community and talk on um so for um you know, because I saw that you you're on a break at this point, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing probably you know, hopefully a, a mental break as well. Yeah. Um, what do you do for for self care? And you know, because I know like the wellness conversation is is rife with such commercialism, but um, for for legit yeah. genuine self care, um, like what what do you do for yourself, and um, how do you protect your own your own internal space? Um, the other thing I'm pursuing is love, so I'm dating. <laughs> you better go ahead. Yeah, um, and I think like just dating in general has been such an eye-opening experience to where I need to heal. Um, and you know, attachment style, attachment theory has been like heavy on my brain um, and what I've been thinking about lately. But a lot of my self-care comes from like just going with those like weird and crazy ideas I have. So like tonight I'm like, I'm going to go and find a beach and like break into it and just watch the sunrise. Like Ooh. that's what I'm going to do for my just form of self care. Let me look now. 
I'm just yeah. I'm not gonna be that person. To be like, so where are you going? <laughs> I don't know uh, yet. I can't. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> let me know. I won't go the same time you're going, but just let me know how it, how it goes so I can go later. Right. Um, I love that. It's that. I think people, you know, because like that wellness and self-care conversation became so commercialized, people think it's like lighting a few candles and <laughs> listening to I mean, I do that some, too. I mean, <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, we can be mixed in there too, but that, I think that that intentional idea of you, like you, the act of going to the beach and like actually intentionally thinking about the time that you're going to be there and what, what you want to see when you get there. And like all, I think all of those things self-care is, is more nuanced and layered than most people give it credit for. And I think that's the thing. It's just that the decision to do something like that, like that actionable is really powerful. And cause I'm pursuing brain. love, like, and I'm pursuing right. love on like so many levels, like with another person, with myself, with my company, like, like this time I just turned 30 is I feel like for me about pursuing love. Okay. So y'all, that was go ahead and write that down and stick that on a post-it on your mirror or something. The idea—it's a form of self-care. It really is. <laughs> Pursue love is a form of self-care. Like that's going to be that nugget. Um, because I was just having a conversation about love and like I was, ha- it was with like my brother's fiance and we were talking about a couple of things that she had mentioned. Like you know me, when I started dating your brother, you know I considered us not necessarily to just be like. Um, you know, uh, like dating or in love, but we were like purpose partners, like together, mm-hmm. our relationship has a purpose, you know, um, that's different than when we're apart or when we're single. And I was like really thinking uh, thinking about that. And I was like, you know what, but could it be that it's a lot less complicated than we have to be in relationship with each other to do something? I think the goal for us as humans is to be in a relationship to learn how to love and be loved. Right. And if that is all you do, that is so rich and that's such a huge task. I mean, I was like, is there a bigger task than that? Is there a bigger purpose in life than to learn how to love other people, love yourself, and then receive love in return? That's the work. And so when people are like, well, you know, we want to get together and be in this relationship. We want to build a business and we want to build a life and we want to have this. And we, I'm like, okay, that's great. And a lot of those behaviors are a result of being in a partnership. But like to be together with another human being intentionally learning how to love each other, learning how to love yourselves individually, and then learning how to receive love. I'm like that in itself is a life's work. It's a life's yeah. practice. Yeah. So like, girl, thank you. And love, <laughs> and love on because come on, like it's not, you know, it's not, it's not passive. I was like, love no, is so no. not passive. Um, I did like, you know, I, I did want to like circle back to the point about you loving your work and like help me understand like what that looks like and how that, how you're, how you're pursuing love for you, you love for your work again. I think it's um, about me taking the time to remember my time, you know, in kitchens and what was lacking and what was there that was constructive and trying to build all those things into blondery and we're we're moving into a bigger space this fall and um I'm I'm so thankful but I'm also just like nervous because now I'm I'm gonna hire people and I'm like who do I need to be in order to you know get these people to their full potential in life because I I was just talking to Corsha um Wilson she does a lot of food writing and I was telling her, like, if, if if we're not being nourished in our work environments, then what's the point of work? Like, I've never stuck around in a place that I wasn't being um, poured into. So how do I fill myself up during this time so that I can pour into others come October 1st and ensure that they are going out and becoming and being their best selves in the world? Y'all, that's a whole word about leadership. I'm going to let y'all just you know, go ahead and pull that out and marinate on that for a minute. Because if you, cause if you're not even, if you're not in pursuit of being a leader, if that's not something that interests you, like you don't want to manage people, you don't want to be the boss, that kind of person, you, you are within your rights to consider the fact that if you are being led, 
you deserve to be cared for in that way. You deserve to be in a space that you are nourished by your work. And yeah, I just, oh, thank you. That was, that, that's, that's one of them like feed your soul kind of thoughts. Like let your, your work should, you should be nourished by your work. Yeah. And yes, Corsha is one of my favorite people. Yeah. She always, <laughs> will always be a fan. Yeah. Um, so these last few moments, I want to uh, make sure I heard, you know, we're moving to a new space. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going, we're, are we launching new product in October? Or are we just lots kinda... of new products, lots of new products, like a new category, like not, not oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not going, I'm not going to ask you to spill no tea if you don't want to. November but... 1st. <laughs> okay. Y'all. So November 1st, we all just want to keep our eyes on the website. So um, let us know like where we can find you, how we can follow your progress and like where we can, I mean, I know most people like, I am I've become that sign up for the newsletter type of person because yeah. it's like all the information you want is there. So just give us it like really website is. addresses <laughs> and like social media stuff and all that business. Yeah, you can find me at Blondery on Instagram. So that's B as in boy L O N D E R Y. And then it's the same blondery.com for the website. On either of those places you can find and sign up for our wait list. It's gonna be a crazy holiday season, so I definitely suggest you get on the wait list because I can't promise I'm be able to fulfill, you know, last minute orders. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as employer, employee, employer type stuff, is are you are you looking for employees just like privately in your own in your own way at your own pace? Is there a way for someone to like apply or shoot they shot? <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, I would love, I, I feel like I should come out with a campaign that's like, if you've been mistreated in the restaurant industry as a black and person of color, come to death row. Like, that's kind of like what I, the feel I wanted to have. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Please um, I need someone to be dressed up as like Suge Knight. Yes. And, <laughs> and do all of that. Because <laughs> that's, that's the vibe. Like, I'm just like, if you if you're ready to like change your life, probably work the hardest you've ever had in your life, but be super fulfilled because I want people to have the same experience I'm having with Blondery with my company. So if you want to own your own bakery, if you want to, um, you know, invest in something that's growing and moving, then definitely send me a DM, send me an email and we'll talk. And I, and I'm a big proponent for, I don't want you to stay in the kitchen unless that's something that you really want to do. But we should, you should be moving up. You should be progressing. So if you want to be purchasing manager or um, you want to work on the marketing with me, I'm open to it. So, yeah. All right, y'all. She's trying to be out here and be somebody else's J, y'all. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for joining me and for spending some time and chatting. I absolutely, again, like my soul is definitely enriched and nourished. Um, and Thank it you. always is after a conversation uh, with one of these, with, 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 with all the ladies, because yeah. wow. Um, so yeah, I will, you know, look, November 1st, I mean, I'm going to put my name on that waiting list. <laughs> and then when the biscuit list go up, I'm going to yes. that one too. So, uh, so yeah, so thank you again. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the time. I appreciate your time. And uh, what you're doing is amazing. We talked about that offline, but I want to say it publicly that, um, you know, the work that you're doing is not going unnoticed. I've seen your name pop up on a lot of different things this week, actually. Korsha mentioned it, I think, on live. Um, I saw it in a newsletter somewhere. I've seen your name a lot. So keep doing what you're doing. That is all for this week's episode. Thank you to our guests for spending some time with us. And thank you for listening in and for being a part of the Flyest Click in podcasting. If you love these conversations, be sure to download, subscribe, comment, and share. You can get further connected with the Afros and Knives community by following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to visit our website, afrosandknives.com, and sign up for our newsletter. Afros and Knives does this work only with the financial support of our Patreon community. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com backslash Afros and Knives and pledge your monthly support. We are working on expanding into video as well as offering patron-only content this year and you don't want to miss out. Until next week, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be at peace. <laughs>